King. It's the tale of the tape, it's time to enter the ring Boxing knowledge, dropped by Kenny and Vin This is sweet science, by some diehard fans Manny and Floyd, I am Mike and the rest And you're tuned in to the best of the best This is Sports Ram Radio It's the boxing fans only show This is Sports Ram Radio It's the boxing fans only show This is Sports Ram Radio And it's time for the next episode what up fight fans and welcome back to episode 30 of the tale of the tape here on sports rant radio i'm your host kenny keith of SportsRantRadio.com, and joining me as always my right hand man vince cummings what up vin what's happening ken man all right buddy we're back for the 2014 year in rewind it's time to look back on the year that was and dish out our awards here on the tale of the tape Let's just kick this thing off proper like. And before we get into the awards, we're going to do a little countdown and uh, perhaps a look into the future of what may be some of the best and brightest young boxing prospects in all the game as we unveil our top five prospects in the sport of professional prize fighting. So, Vin, let's just kick it off proper like with your top five prospects heading into the year 2015. Yeah, this was a tough one because there was uh... – there were so many good prospects this year. This was really the year of the prospect in boxing. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, narrowing it down to five was not an easy thing to do. But uh, just off the break, I got you, you your number five. I got Arthur Bieterbiev. Bieterbiev. Uh I mean, this guy has kind of come on the uh, on the scene with Storm. I mean, just he's very raw, very powerful, but, you know, there's not – He's got a lot of questions that need to be answered as far as, you know, getting in the ring with top-notch talent and seeing if, if he can kind of calm his attack down. Can can he last more than three or four rounds in the ring? We haven't seen that yet. So there's a lot of questions to be answered, but, I mean, a, a bright future, I think, ahead for this guy. Oh, absolutely, man. From a pure power perspective, there may not be a more powerful puncher than Artur Beterbiev. No, exactly, exactly. And then number four, I uh, – I'm bringing J-Rock, man. J-Rock uh, had a really, really good year this year. And uh, as far as in his last fight looking so technically sound and just looking like a fighter wise beyond his years in the ring, I think uh, we're going to start seeing him get some some top 10 talent competition and, and start making some big noise in the 154-pound uh, division by the end of the year. That, of course, all depends on if Mr. Heyman allows him to do that if he gets held back or not um you know that's a that's a that's the thing we've been dealing with with all his fighters in 2014 hopefully j rockets unleashed in 2015 uh number three i'm bringing you gilberto ramirez personally one of my my favorite prospects with this kid's size in the super middleweight division it's at six two and a half the 75 inch reach the uh unbelievable attack he can bring to the body he uh he's kind of a different as far as Mexican fighters are cut from you know that that tough come forward style. While he has that, he does have a lot of of classic boxing ability too. He's more of a boxer puncher, and uh, I think after four big knockouts in 2014, I think 
2015 will be the year that Gilberto is unleashed in the super middleweight division. He definitely presents a huge, a huge problem for a very loaded division. Uh, he stands out as an absolute freak. Yeah. You know, you touched on his six foot three, you know, 75 inch reach. This guy um, punches from all angles. He's very, very adept at, at throwing high and low hooks. He will, right. He'll pound you to the body and he'll bring it right back up top. He, he drops that low hook to the body right, right behind your guard, too, mm-hmm. right, right on that kidney. Really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very high myself on Gilberto Ramirez. His, his record, uh, 30 and 0, with 24 knockouts at the age of 23, uh, will definitely serve him well moving yeah. forward, having that kind of professional experience under his belt at such a young age. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's a big thing for him. So at uh, at number two, we got I know a guy you're uh, you're super high on, and that's the freak Anthony Joshua. I mean, this guy is what can you say? He's a he's a freaking mountain of a man, and he's only 25 years old. He's mowing down guys without a problem. He's walking through guys like similar to the way Mike Tyson did it. To be honest with you, I mean, he just overpowering guys, and uh, I think to me when I watch the kid fight, I think he's ready now. I want to see him against the best. Now, obviously, they gotta they gotta do it the right way and 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 build him up. But I mean, let's speed up the process because I think <laughs> I think this guy's ready to dominate now. To be honest with you, and uh, for my number one, I mean, this is a guy that I, I can tell you right now, I'm completely about 100 percent gay for, <laughs> <laughs> and that's Felix Verdejo. This kid is, I mean, flashy in the ring. Million dollar smile, speed, power. I mean, just anything you could ask for in a fighter. And uh, I'm looking forward for him. I, I'm, I know it's probably not going to be this year, 2015, but probably by the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, this guy's going to be ready to challenge for a title. I'm not going to argue with uh, with any of the guys in your top five, especially since I have four of them in my top five. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I count them down. I got number five, I have Callum Smith. Coming from the Fighting Smiths, great background, great pedigree, and very much physically uh, not only measures up to Gilberto Ramirez in the right. same division at six foot three with a 76-inch reach, but also utilizes the hooks to the body. He, he was the first off my list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can definitely – I knew you were high on Callum Smith. I was actually surprised that you didn't have him on your list. But, you know, whether he's five or six – the, the fact is that, that right. Callum Smith of the Fighting Smiths is one of the best young, bright up-and-comers in the sport and uh, without a doubt is going to uh, be wearing a strap or two oh, yeah. in his time. Uh, at number four, I, I have Gilberto Ramirez. Number three, I have Felix Verdejo. Number two, Julian J. Rock Williams. And number one, Anthony Joshua. Now, the reason why I have him in the order that I have him is is simply this. I think... Right now, if you were to put Anthony Joshua in the ring against Vladimir Klitschko, if you were to put J-Rock Williams in the ring against Canelo Alvarez, if you were to put Felix Verdejo in the ring with Terrence Crawford, these are the top guys in their prospective weight classes. Right. Okay? Because I don't, I don't consider Floyd a natural 154. He's a, he's a no. welterweight. Yeah. So I'm not going to say he's – even though he holds the belts at 154. He, yeah, he cherry-picked that belt. Exactly. Um, there's – I think it's – Pretty. There's a consensus built around Canelo being the best 154 pounder. Yeah. In all the land. Um, so, anyways, if you were to put all three of these guys in the ring with their with the top contemporaries, I'm not sure Felix Verde. Felix Verdejo may be the most talented of right. all three. 
Um, I think he's more talented overall than Julian Williams. I'm not sure if he's more talented than Anthony Joshua. I'm not sure about that. But the ranking structure for me was as simple as who stands the best chance against the top person in their division. Right. And I legitimately think Joshua could beat Klitschko today. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. He is as explosive as advertised. There's nobody can over-exaggerate the pure speed and power of Anthony Joshua. It's, it's like you take Mike Tyson and Lennox Lewis or Mike Tyson and George Foreman in his prime right? and wrap them into one fighter. I know, it's freakish, man. And the thing is, is we, we, we've touched on Anthony Joshua before, is he is silky smooth. Yes. You know, his combinations that he throws when he has a guy up against the ropes is unbelievable. He's got a really long jab, too. And, you know, I just think as it stands today, so that's my criteria. And you can take all three of these guys and throw them up in the air. The reason why Julian Williams, he may not even be as talented as Gilberto Ramirez. Right. But the thing you you already touched on with J-Rock Williams, I don't think that I've seen a guy who's more determined in the ring than this guy. Yeah, he's serious. Um, he's, he's dead serious about the sport. Yeah. And he has no reservations whatsoever. Julian Williams flat out said he will not duck Triple G. He As he moves up in class and as he moves up in age and develops through the game, he will not dodge the best in front of him. He will fight all comers and take them on. And I'll tell you what, man, as well-rounded a boxer that fights today. Yeah, he is very technical, very smooth, does it all very Have you well. seen a guy enter the pocket from the outside better than Julian Williams. There's there's only a few guys that do it as good as him at that young of an age, definitely. I mean, he comes into the pocket like he just jumped up out of a foxhole. Right. And he's storming the the, the enemy lines. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. he is just bobbing and weaving in and out. I mean, I would love to see a training session with J-Rock Williams. Um, yeah, so that pretty much, you know, that long story short on J-Rock, that's how I, I, I formulated my top three. I think we have a consensus between the two of us. Yeah. Um you know, as far as the top five is concerned, some other notables that that I have listed here is Luke Campbell, um, of course. You know, a really, really silky smooth uh, 2012 Olympic gold medalist in the bantamweight division, who's fighting at lightweight right now at the age of 27. Um, there may not be a more technically sound fighter, uh, you know, in the prospect ranks than Luke Campbell. Right. I yeah. mean, he's as pretty as they come. Yeah, he is. His, he's got the million-dollar smile too, boy. Yeah, he does. And his nickname is fitting, right? Cool yeah. hand Luke? Yeah. He's too cool, right? Yep. Um, yeah, love me some Luke Campbell. Oscar Valdez, uh, just an unbelievable talent. 14-0, 13 knockouts. Some people have Oscar Valdez number one on their list. Yeah, I, I can't blame them. Like we said, man, it's, it's <clears throat> loaded. You could Any one of these guys, they're all so good, uh, you know. There's interesting interweaving amongst these guys. As you know, it's all generational. These guys come up together, fighting amateurs together, right. travel together if they're from the same uh, same countries or whatever. But there's some interesting interweaving that I found. Uh, you know, like Felix Verdejo lost to Vasil Lomachenko uh, in the quarterfinals at the 2012 London Olympics. Vasil Lomachenko beat him 14 to nine. Uh, Julian Williams lost to Errol Spence at the 2009 U.S. Nationals. Right. Um, you have Oscar Valdez lost to Vasil Lomachenko at the 2009 Worlds. Everybody lost to Vasil Lomachenko. <laughs> Vasil Lomachenko beat Oscar Valdez 12 to 1. Jesus, <laughs> man. 12 to 1. That's, it's just not fair how good that kid is, man. Um, you know, we have the pride of Washington, D.C., the uh, the Beltway Boricua. Dusty Hernandez Harrison will fight this Friday night on Fox Sports 1, headlining throne boxing. Uh, Errol Spence. Javier Fortuna, mm-hmm. uh, Artur Betterbiev, like you said, I have him here too. And then 
Um, you know, another guy that is really flying under the radar right now. Pull up, if you guys out there do not know of Alexander Usyk from the Ukraine, you've got to Google and look at this guy's picture. And tell me right now if he is not the scariest motherfucker you have ever seen <laughs> in your entire life. He sounds like a Viking warrior, I'll tell you that. He looks like he is on the show Vikings. Does he? Yes. Uh, dude, he is 6-0 and with six knockouts. Alexander Usek was the 2012 Olympic gold medalist and actually beat Artur Beterbiev numerous times in the amateurs. Yeah, that's that's saying a lot right there. Yeah, I'm really high on him. And we'll talk more about him later. But those are some prospects to keep your eye on. Um, boxing has a bright future. Oh, 2015 and beyond looks yeah. awesome, man. Only the promoters can, can screw this thing up. And they always do. So. And they always do. Yeah, they always do. You get a whole crop of these guys and you're just like, oh, man, frothing at the mouth. Well, so... Let's move right into some awards. And these are the Tale of the Tape 2014 awards. And we're going to start off with the knockout of the year. Before we get to the knockout of the year, Vin, what were some knockouts that uh, that stood out to you the most this year? I, I, one that comes to the top of my head right away is is Amir Mansour's knockout of, of Fred Cassidy. <laughs> I thought he killed that guy. Just the violence and in, in the punches that, that Mansour was throwing. I mean, just... I don't know, man. I, I would never, ever want to feel what it feels like to get punched by Amir Mansour. No. And that knockout was, I mean, well, Cassie was down on the mat for two, three minutes after he got knocked out. Yeah, he was, he was napping. Yeah. I mean, of course, we, you know, I told you I'm, I'm gay for Felix. And I mean, that third round knockout of Villanueva that he had in that fight sends him with a, just a short, one of the fastest short right hooks you've ever seen. I, I, I'm not convinced he threw a punch there. I think he Jedi mind tricked <laughs> him. Can't, you can't see it no. without slow motion. You cannot see the punch. Yeah, there was a couple that, that, that really stood out to me as well, and one of which you and I saw in person. Yeah. And it was Andy Lee versus John Jackson back on June 7th at Madison Square Garden in the undercard of Cotto Martinez. And what I remember from the fight was you and I were having a conversation about Andy Lee. And from the very beginning, John Jackson was flat out dominating Andy Lee. And I remember the conversation going back and forth. And you were kind of saying, you were like, yeah, you know, this, this doesn't look good for Andy Lee. He might be washed up. Yeah. You know, this guy's always got a puncher's chance and blah, blah, blah. You know, and the fight progresses through the first few rounds. Lee gets put down to the canvas in the first round. And then, you know, as we, as we come into the fifth round, John Jackson seizes control and hurts Andy Lee. And Andy Lee is on the run, on the run, and gets pinned up against the ropes. And Jackson is going in for the kill. And here it comes, the Hail Mary right hand of Andy Lee. That was an unbelievable punch. Unbelievable punch. I had a hard time not picking this one for knockout yeah. of the year. Yeah. Another one, another one, Andy Lee knocking out Matt Goroboff. Yeah. Another fight that he was losing. I mean, I'm pretty sure boxing writers were were ready to pen the end of, of Andy Lee's career. I mean, they're probably ready to hit send. Dude, <laughs> listen to this. In the nine rounds that he fought before knocking out Jackson in the fifth and knocking out Matt Goroboff in the sixth, in those nine rounds, the average scorecard for those nine rounds, okay, was – Andy Lee, 81, his opponent, 89. <laughs> he won a round. Yeah. He won a round on the – I'm taking the average of all six judges from those two fights in the nine, in the nine rounds. He don't need no judges. No. 
His judge is a right hook, buddy. No, and it's really, really exciting to see what's next for Andy Lee, but we will get to that. So we move to May 31st, 2015, live from Wembley Stadium in London, England, for the knockout of the year. Carl Frotch versus George Groves 2, dubbed the rematch. Their first meeting took place on November 23rd, 2013, and Groves dropped Frotch early in the first round and immediately established the respect that Groves needed to Mm -hmm. early on. We know how Frotch fights. He attacks. And if you do not give Frotch a reason to not attack, he will mow you down. He will chase you around the ring and will try to hurt you. But being being able to stun Frotch like that was allowed Groves to implement a great game plan against the typically aggressive Frotch. Frotch had... Respect for the jab as it was coming in quicker, I think, than he could have ever anticipated in that first fight. And, of course, the dangerous right hand that dropped Frotch to the canvas. Groves had Frotch off balance for much of the fight and won, uh, on some scorecards, won a vast majority of the first half of the fight. I scored the fight personally. I gave Groves the first two rounds with Frotch bouncing back in the third. Groves coming back to win win the fourth, Frotch the fifth, but then Groves taking the sixth and seventh. Here's what the difference in this fight was, okay? By the end of the seventh, Groves was spent. Yep. Flushed red and fighting with his mouth open. Frotch put his foot on the gas and began to bang the body of the visibly exhausted Groves. And at that point is when the tide turned. But it wasn't until the ninth round when Frotch caught Groves in a huge flurry in a flurry that we do not know and we will never know if Groves would have ever been able to escape it. And referee, British referee Howard Foster jumps in and stops the fight in one of the most unbelievable stoppages you will ever see in the sport of boxing. And it was like, hold on a second, what just happened? This fight is not over. Right. Now, here's how I feel about this, Ben. Okay, the combination of Frotch's reputation for closing fights strong, Groves' obvious exhaustion, made the end result a foregone conclusion. Right. I saw no chance whatsoever for George Groves to win this fight. Mm-hmm. This fight was going to end with a Carl Frotch knockout. Maybe it wasn't going to it wasn't going to come in the ninth round, but it was going to come in the 10th, 11th or 12th round. Right. This fight was going to be stopped. So I I'm I'm completely convinced of that having watched it numerous times. But lucky for us, controversy began. Mm-hmm. Right? And Frotch Groves won set in motion a rematch that was as heated and anticipated as any in boxing history. The lead-up to the fight, this was the... If there was a category for promotion of the year... Oh, easily. Frotch Groves 2 was the promotion of the year. Easily. I know a lot of American fight fans get only wrapped up in what happens on HBO and Showtime and Top Rank and Golden Boy and Al Heyman, and they think that that's the center of the universe and everything else that happens is sort of second-rate. Right. Right? And if you weren't watching, if you didn't see Frotch Groves 1 and you didn't follow what transpired in between the stoppage in the ninth round by Howard Foster and the ring walks at Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 for Frotch Groves 2, if you missed that, then you may not have had your finger on the pulse of what that fight actually meant. No. It was the biggest thing in boxing. It was the biggest event of the year. And we may never see an event like this again in our natural lifetime. There's only one fight, I think, that could supersede it on, on pure scale. But that would only depend if, if the fight was made and where the fight would be held. Right. 
the lead up to the fight for Frotch Groves 2 takes us into much of the same in the beginning of the fight. Mm-hmm. Frotch was very leery of Groves early on. But as we, as we sort of noticed in the ring walks, Frotch was very business as usual yeah. during his ring walk. A longer than normal, but pretty much to the point. He came out, hit the, hit the, the staging stage, did a little shadow boxing, and made his way to the ring. George Groves, on the other hand, was soaking it in. Oh, it was a rock show for him. Oh, man, he was... Yeah, you're exactly right, dude. He was Paul McCartney. Yep. You know what I mean? This dude was, was Jay-Z. I mean, he was the all eyes on him. And he stood on top of that double-decker bus and was just dancing and having all kinds of fun. Then he comes to the second stage, and he looks like freaking Apollo Creed and Rocky IV, <laughs> yeah. dressed up as Uncle Sam, just sitting there <laughs> dancing and pointing to the crowd. But didn't he look like the only thing going through my mind at this point while I'm laughing my ass off during the ring walk is this dude is expending so much energy. Oh yeah. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be burnt out in the fourth round of this fight. Yeah, and I mean, come on. The the lead up to that fight with the I guess what was what does Sky Sports do there? Uh gloves off. Gloves off. Yeah. Some of the best moments of Oh uh, ever. George Groves is Nutty is about how you can explain them, man. Yeah, yeah. There, there. It was the most bizarre behavior, but it was perfect. It, it was so perfect. It worked. I mean, it got Frotch off his game mentally. I think going into that fight, now we saw Frotch refocused and. Oh yeah, he uh, uh, after about the I would say probably like the second or third round of the rematch, you could see Frotch wasn't gonna have it. He no. wasn't gonna have it. Uh-uh. He put his foot on the gas and began to attack Groves, where Groves is very susceptible to the body. And then as they enter into uh, perhaps one of the most memorable moments um, in the last decade in professional boxing, as we come into the eighth round, and George Groves throws a shot and leaves his guard down, and the overhand right that Carl Frotch delivers collapsed George Groves like a folding chair, and his legs snapped back underneath of him, and he was out. Uh, I, I thought he hit him with the hammer of Thor. It was the most beautiful punch yeah. of the year. It was ridiculous. I mean, just you could see everything from the floor to the end of the fist. I mean, that thing was loaded, boy. And 80,000 fans at Wembley Stadium erupt yes. into, in, in my opinion, that was the biggest moment in boxing this year. Oh, by far. Was that punch. Yeah, I don't think there's anything close. That's why it wins knockout of the year. I mean, that that alone. Do yourself, if you do not agree with what we are saying here, do yourself the favor. Go back to Frotch Groves 1 and find all the footage in the promotion that you can find. Because it's all all right there on YouTube. You can watch it all. And you will see, arguably... the best promotion I've seen in my lifetime. You'll spend six hours watching lead-in and fight and fights for both of those fights. I mean, you will be mesmerized yeah. by a guy in George Groves that went from prospect to superstar in that country. Yep. Immediately. Yeah. Just based off of pure villainy. And and challenging their that country's number one fighter. I mean, Carl <laughs> Frotch is the man in England. And this kid comes out of nowhere with these crazy antics and just I mean, he explodes on the scene and now Hey, George Groves is, is pretty much a, a household name as far as boxing fans go because of that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and this was, there, there, is, there is a lot of talk um, if this fight with uh, Chavez Jr. cannot be made that Frotch may step away from boxing. I cannot think of any other, a better way 
to step away from the sport. No. To a... He's got nothing to prove, man. No. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. Uh, one of the greatest fighters in the history of Great Britain. And there's no doubt about that. No. And he'll, he'll go down in history as one of the best super middleweights of all time. Yep. Um, no doubt about that. So there you have it. That's our knockout of the year. And I felt to do this knockout justice, we I, I had to give the lead up to it. A lot of people only saw the knockout. Yeah. They only see the YouTube footage. Right. I felt like I was dialed into this fight leading into it. And I just, I felt like sharing that story with, with all the listeners out oh, there. Oh yeah. It all goes along with it, man. That's what made it the knockout of the year. So which transitions us into the fight of the year. Okay. And now, there was a couple of fights that stood out to me, one of which was Frotch Groves too. Right. Not because it was, you know, Castillo Corrales. Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't that kind of fight, but it was the biggest moment. Right. It was the most electric moment in a boxing. Lot, a lot of the lead-in and build-up had to do with it. Right. Know. So if, if I think you have to consider everything for criteria. Oh, yeah. It can't just be the way that the fight unfolds no. inside of the ring. It has to be what's on, line, what's on the line, Definitely. what's at stake, the moment, everything. Definitely. So that was on my list, along with Francisco Rodriguez Jr. versus Katsunari Takayama, which was ESPN.com's um, fight of the year. Uh, great, great fight in the strawweight division. Um, if you haven't seen it, go back and see it. What yep. were some on your list before we get to the fight of the year? I, I of course, had uh, Salido and uh, Kokichim, Turdsack. I mean, that was... That was one hell of a fight, dude. That's one hell of a name. I, I, I put him on the list because I wanted to say the name, let's be honest. Turdsack? Turdsack. <laughs> <laughs> I needed my Beavis and Butthead moment. Yeah, that is perfect. No, but that fight is unbelievable. I mean, Kokichin came out strong, putting Salito down early in that fight. There's, there were seven knockdowns in that fight. Salito down three times, Turdsack down four times, and finished in the 11th. Nonstop action the whole time. I mean, just a great fight. And then... Crawford Gamboa, I mean the level of skill mm-hmm. displayed in that in that fight and the and the the swing from Gamboa dominating early and Gamboa confusing Crawford early with the speed and then Crawford adjusting and just the display that he put on late in that fight to finish a fighter like Gamboa the way he did was amazing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And Vince Cummings fight of the year. Fight of the year for me was of course Big Head John Molina Jr. versus Lucas Matisse. <laughs> I mean, the way, those guys just traded shots, heads down. I mean, overhand haymakers just for the entire fight. I, 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 I could watch that fight all day, every day. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Yeah. And the fight that I have as my fight of the year, I've probably watched it 10 times yeah. over and over and over again. And my choice for fight of the year is Crawford Gamboa on that late June evening in Omaha, Nebraska as Terrence Crawford. That was a star-making moment. Yes, it was. You know, Carl Frotch was already a star right. before his knockout of the year, before that fight happened, uh, long before that. And there were many moments that made this my number one over Frotch Groves too, and over Rodriguez Jr. versus Takayama and over Salito versus Turdsack and, and, and Molina Matisse. And, you know, there, there were a lot, of, a lot of really good fights this year. Right. But this one had it all. Um, it had the ebbs and flows. It had the back and forth, like you said. Gamboa's speed dictating the first four rounds, and then Crawford to quote uh, to quote Max Kellerman what he said during the fight is that uh, uh, Crawford's got some dog in him. Oh yeah, and he proved that, and mm-hmm. th- it was really a star making performance. And when he knocked out Gamboa at the end of that fight, 
that just epic moment in boxing history when Crawford climbed to the top of the ropes oh, and yeah. screams at the top of his lungs in one of the just the, the best freeze frame moments from 2014. He, he announced his arrival with that scream right there. Absolutely. Which takes us into the fighter of the year. And the tale of the tape, 2014 fighter of the year is Terrence Bud Crawford. I don't see how he couldn't be anybody's fighter of the year. Yeah, and I think there is a consensus forming around Bud Crawford as the fight fighter of the year from uh, all sorts of media outlets and those in the boxing community and those in the sporting community as well. You know, th- you have to give respect to the um, sort of the legend forging uh, year that Triple G had. Right. Um, he has made himself into arguably the most fight, uh, popular fighter on the planet. Yes. Um, and then, of course, the year that Sergey Kovalev had, go without saying. But I think if you look at all around, um, obviously we're not going to pick anybody that fought twice no. to be fighter of the year. It's three but, fights minimum. Yeah. And just the, the timeline of Terrence Crawford um, and what he had to accomplish to become uh, the fighter of the year back in March 2014 from the Scottish Exhibition Center in Glasgow, Scotland. Terrence Crawford does something that fighters in America do not do anymore. Yeah. He went and took the belt. You hear Erzlandi Lara's just capitual bitching and complaining and just talking about how his style is superior and he he beat Canelo and he beat Paul Williams and he beat this person because his style is superior. Well, you look prettier, but you didn't win. You didn't go and get it. Right. Terrence Crawford seized the moment, got on a plane, went to Scotland, and took Ricky Burns' belt, came home to his hometown in Omaha, Nebraska, and put on a fight of the year. Yes. And then, again, in November, against Ramundo Beltran, put on a masterclass of dominant proportions. Clean sweep. Clean sweep domination of Ray Beltran, and the number a, the number two hundred and thirty five pounder in the world. Absolutely, and now Terrence Crawford, coming off of the two thousand fourteen Fighter of the Year campaign, moves up to one hundred and forty pounds into the junior welterweight division. And now, what lies ahead for Terrence? Bob how many Crawford? of them? How many of them? Top five, top six hundred and forty pounders are going to make a jump up to one forty seven just because Mister <laughs> Crawford's arrived. Um, They're all going to be ready for a jump up to 147. Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be a Swift jump. Oh, Swift's definitely (laughs) jumping. Yeah, DSG wants no part of Terrence Crawford. No. No part of it whatsoever. But he will continue to do what he does and uh, continue to pay Bantamweights handsomely and Strawweights handsomely (laughs) to come up and, and to fight him. They'll give him an extra 50. I'll never understand... Like, sometimes there's just things that you don't want to release into the media. There's just things that better go. When you do despicable things, don't talk about them. Right. Try not to do them. But if you do, don't let it out (laughs) that there is an incentive bonus in the contract to give Rod Salka more money for every pound he gains. I know. That that just makes you look so freaking bad, man. It's like, here, man, here's a bag of 12 double cheeseburgers. Crush these things before the win. <laughs> right. <laughs> 140 pounds is going to be very, very interesting. You got our prospects. Keep your eyes out 
on the horizon for the likes of Anthony Joshua and Felix Verdejo, J-Rock Williams and Gilberto Ramirez. The knockout of the year is Carl Froch versus George Groves, the rematch. Go to the fight of the year is Matisse Molina for Vin and Crawford Gamboa for me. And we have a consensus tale of the tape 2014 fighter of the year is Terrence Bud Crawford. So now you see a lot of wish lists, a lot of people soothsaying in 2015 what they want, what they hope for. Um, And as we know with boxing, you can hope and want, and there could be something right in front of your face that you think is going to happen, and then somebody will screw it up. Until they step in the ring and the bell actually rings, it's never a a guaranteed thing in the sport. No, it is definitely not a guaranteed thing. So we're going to run through the divisions in boxing. Some of them will pass right by. Well, let's talk about what to expect and what we look forward to as we go division by division. And let's just start it down at the little guys in the strawweight division. And there's one name that comes to mind, and that is South Africa's Hecky Butler. Now, we saw Hecky Butler fight earlier this year in sort of a coming out party to a lot of boxing fans. Yeah, definitely. Uh, some had followed him. You know, sometimes it's, it's hard to follow the international fighters when you can only only get him on uh, <laughs> on pirated internet feeds. Right. Uh, but Hecky Butler stands out the most. And it'll actually be the co-feature in the upcoming February fight between Triple G Gennady Golovkin against Martin Murray. And Hecky Butler will get the exposure that he so strongly deserves in a division that is predominantly Asian. Yes. Um, you know, you, you can't run through the strawweight division without seeing almost every single one of the fighters in the top 10 outside of maybe two from Latin America. They, they may have the best name of any fighter, uh, number five ranked strawweight. The number five ranked strawweight by Ring Magazine. Knockout Knock CP Fresh Smart. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a grocery store, man. Uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Knockout CP Freshmart. I think I heard something about like Thai fighters. Um, they pick their names. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. They do. And a lot of it has to do with where they train. <coughs> All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that is, oh man, that might be the best name. I cannot believe you found that. <laughs> Knockout CP Freshmart. I can't stop laughing. I'm sorry, dude. He looks like Pacquiao. He does. Doesn't he? Little little Pacquiao with a little porn stash. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that is awesome. Yeah, so Hecky Butler, you looking forward to seeing him back in action? Yeah, man. He was, uh, of course, first time we we got to see him last year, and very impressive. He is, he he reminds us a lot uh, in his style of a super small version of Terrence Crawford in in his fighting style. Oh, absolutely, man. Long. Fights with both hands. Yep. Really good fighter, man. Mm-hmm. Really good. People are in for a treat when they get to see uh, Hecky Butler um, in the upcoming Triple G fight card. It's going to be a really good show for Butler on February 21st as he squares off against Jesus Silvestre in Monte Carlo, Monaco. All right, man. Let's, uh, let's keep on putting on some weight here. And we go into the 112-pound division, otherwise known as the flyweight division. That has a kingpin sitting at the top of it in actually the number six ranked pound for pound fighter on the tail of the tape, sportsrightradio.com, pound for pound list in one, Roman Gonzalez from Managua, Nicaragua. He uh, He's broken onto the scene this year in a big way, boy. Uh, I tell you what, there may not be 
a better fighter on the planet. Or a more exciting fighter to watch. Unbelievable. Yeah. He has has it all. And the ring and WBC flyweight champion. I hope we get to see him. We were talking about this before we went on the air. If they make Canelo Cotto, okay, they announce this thing here in the next couple weeks, which is supposed to happen if it does get signed. I cannot think of a better a better lead-in fight, a co-feature, than Roman Gonzalez versus Juan Francisco Estrada too. That, my friend, would be awesome. You would have the ring and WBC lineal champ and Roman Gonzalez against the WBA and WBO champ and Juan Francisco Estrada. That would be a fight for the ages. Yes. A fight in their first go-round went the distance, and Roman Gonzalez got Chocolatito, as they call him, got a pretty convincing um, decision, but has proclaimed in the media time and time again that if they have a rematch, he will not be as forgiving this go-around. He said he is out for blood Yeah, against Estrada if they square off again. Man, that would be a great lead-in fight. Absolutely, but it looks like the next fight on the horizon for uh, Roman Gonzalez, a.k.a. Chocolatito, will be against the number three-ranked fighter, uh, the ring rankings, Edgar Sosa from Mexico, a really tough fighter, and that would actually be a great fight, too. All of these guys in the top five of this division are are tough fighters, so... Yeah, absolutely. You're going to get action in any one of the fights you can make out out of those top five. Absolutely. So we're going to jump right past the junior bantamweight and bantamweight divisions, so we jump right into the 122-pound division and the junior featherweights, and there is a undisputed champion at the top of the list, and one fighter, they call him El Chacal, Guillermo Rigandau, who we most recently just saw him fight um, in Japan. And we can talk a little bit about that fight. What did you think about his fight against Amagasa? Well, Amagasa was obviously way too big for him, I think. I mean, they looked like a giant and a midget in the ring. A five-inch height difference, I believe it was. or I think it was six and a half inches. Six and a half, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he was like five, ten and a half. Uh, You know, you feel bad for Rigando because he's so ridiculed even before a fight starts as far as... You, you can feel bad for him. I, 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 I'm going to... Let me rephrase that. I don't feel bad for him. Some may feel bad okay, for him. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I was going to say, because he is a flat-out asshole. Yeah. I, I, he's gained nothing off of that fight. Yes, he got the win. He did. We did see he went down twice in the seventh round, so I believe you know that there's there's been some some chinks in the armor that have been exposed with Rigando, and you know he's not as dominant as we may have thought he was going to be no i mean his the way he beat nonito denaire and just watching the fight against joseph igbeko what you saw in a two-fight stretch from the jackal was in the denaire fight you saw just flat out dismantling mm-hmm. right and in the igbeko fight you saw a mismatch in athleticism which made rigandau look so unbelievably dominant. Right. And there was a somebody on Twitter after the uh, the Yamagasa fight, I can't remember who posted it, but made a good comment. Said, so now do you see why this guy does not belong on the pound-for-pound pound list after watching this fight? Mm-hmm. First off, before Rigandau went down twice in the seventh round, that was the worst fight of the year. Yeah, I, I didn't watch the whole thing. But uh, yeah, from what the first four or five rounds I watched, yes, very boring. Oh my god, unbelievably boring. Yeah, unbelievably boring. He looked confused. 
I mean, yeah, obviously he had a, basically for all intents and purposes, as far as Rigondeaux is concerned, he had a giant standing in front of him. Yeah. But, he, dude, this guy had nothing on his punches. No, he did not. Nothing on his punches. And then to get put down twice by this guy? Yeah. I'm sorry, man, but I, as soon as that happened, I immediately uh, logged into the website and took him off of the pound-for-pound pound list. He's got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Before. I agree. He's just like, just like Erzlandi Lara. Okay. Right. These guys were never trained to be professional boxers. These guys were trained to fight in the amateur system. Their style is flawless, right. but it's an amateur style. They were When they were training in Cuba, the people that were training them were not training them to fight professionally. No. They were not training them to go out and seize the moment. They want gold medals. Yes. They are there to score points, mm-hmm. and that's how they fight. And until these two knuckleheads can get it through their skull that in America, if you want to fight and be relevant in the American boxing scene, okay, and you want to have respect thrown towards you, you have to go out and take it. You cannot fight in that manner and maintain that ungrateful, nasty attitude when people criticize the fact that you don't go out and take it. But we just don't understand their greatness, Ken. No, we don't. <laughs> you know who has figured it out, which you wish these guys would look to him, and Gamboa. Yeah. He has adopted his style It's to a more professional style. He knows you got to let throw caution to the wind every once in a while. You got to trade some punches. And that's just it, man. When Amagasa put Brigandau down, he wasn't putting caution to the wind. He just got... Yeah. It was just like, dude, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. He wasn't going for a big knockout. No. It wasn't... Golovkin-Gill, where he took one to lay one? Right. It wasn't that at all. He's a frustrating fighter, man. Very frustrating. Yeah, well, you know what? And in return from boxing fans' frustrations with him, what you get in return is a very frustrated and negative attitude Right. in Rigondeaux. You know, I mean, I, I love a villain. I think boxing needs villains. I, I love the protagonist versus the antagonist. Dude, I love comic books. That's like the 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 foundation for you have a hero and a bad guy. Right. So that's fine. He can be the bad guy, but he, he takes it to a different spoiled brat right. mentality that is just, it's not befitting of him. I love the fact that he gets in the ring and says, I'll knock this dude out. I'll knock this dude out. Mm-hmm. But to say he's entitled because he won gold medals and he's a great amateur fighter. Right. Sorry, man. Yeah, this this isn't the amateurs. No, not at all. Um, and he's got a lot of work to do. And until he, you know, and, le- and let's be honest, you know, you look at his resume, and outside of Donaire, he has fought nobody. No, and I see three guys in that division that that could give him a lot of trouble. Who's that? I I, I think Quig could give him trouble. I think Frampton could give him trouble, and and Santa Cruz. Now, Santa Cruz may not hang down at one twenty two much longer, but no, um, and nor Santa Cruz called out Rigondeaux and right. then backed backed out. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. That's what Heyman fighters do. Yeah. yeah. I got to act like I want it, but I really don't want it. Yeah, yeah, no. That's that's what they do, man. And, you know, and, and you're seeing that now as Leo Santa Cruz is going to enter his next fight against Jesus Ruiz. Yeah. And then ESPN.com on the boxing page, their top story... And the headline article 
the year of Santa Cruz? Is this the year of Santa Cruz? Uh, what? No. Nah, who wrote that? Dan Raphael. I, I, what do you mean, is this the year of Leo Santa Cruz? I, I don't understand that at all. His last fight, he fought his sparring partner. Yeah. And his next fight is against nobody. I, I don't I don't understand that at all. Jesus Christ, Dan. Yeah, man. You got to... There is the the sense of entitlement that comes from the Heyman camp of fighters, man, is unbelievable. Yeah. They don't realize that you have to fight to gain respect in this sport. You have to take on your contemporaries. You have to fight your equals. You have to take a challenge. You have to fight a great fight, and then you will be crowned. Right. I don't care about the number on the left that keeps going up and the zero that stays there. You got to show me something in the ring. Show me some heart. Show me something that you want to fight the best. You want to be the best. And none of those guys do it. No, they don't. And it's outrageously frustrating. Um, But you know what? Next man up as Carl Frampton will be squaring off against Chris Avalos on February 28th in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So that should be a really exciting fight. Yes. Looking forward to that. Um, and I am not looking forward to Santa Cruz's next fight whatsoever. They're throwing him on the undercard of uh, Bermain Stavern and Deontay Wilder. Dude, if, if Santa Cruz is that much of a badass, put your ass in a plane, fly over to the UK, and beat up Carl Frampton. Why can't you do that? What's the problem? No. You saw what Terrence Crawford did. Right. And look. <clears throat> the boxing world is in love with him. Right, and you you will gain so much more respect for doing it on somebody else's turf. I, I and I don't. Why can't fighters see that and understand that and realize that us fans will give them that much more respect for doing that? I don't. You think Floyd Mayweather would be so much? He would be a beloved fighter universally yeah. across the board if he went and traveled to take on all comers to prove that he's the best in the world that if, if he went to Wembley and fought Amir Khan next year and beat him he would be beloved absolutely he would gain so much respect from me right instead of fighting sheltered at the MGM Grant in control of all of the rules right because he has a god complex you he know con- what I mean he controls the air conditioning in that place I believe I think he does he's got a, he- he's got an app on his smartphone he's he controls everything everything <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? There's something to be said about that. This is a division where fireworks can be had. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the top four in the division need to square it off. And they need to square off sometime soon. Yeah. Because I'm tired of these four fighting everybody else. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is, is that Frampton is fighting somebody in the top 10. Thank God. Yeah. Is, is that just so hard to ask for? Everybody's scared to lose that spot, man. Everybody is scared to lose. I just I know losses in boxing mean a lot, man, but you can gain a lot of respect from a loss. Yeah. If you do it the right way. Exactly. All right, let's move to the featherweight division. Um, maybe the most loaded division in all of boxing. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most talented division in all of boxing. Uh, a division that, oh, man, they should do a super six in this division. I, I wish they would. I they, so wish they would. Dude, this super six is loaded with star power. Yep. Loaded with star. Do you power. put Donaire in your super six of that division? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I think Donaire 
I think Donaire beats Gradovich, and I think he beats Mares. Yeah. You know, and has a chance to beat Gonzalez. I, I don't think he stands a chance against Lomachenko or Walters. I think your final of that tournament would be Lomachenko and Walters. Oh, definitely. So what are your thoughts on the 126-pound division? I mean, like we said, it, it's it's freaking loaded. And I, the biggest fight to me that I want to see, aside from the one everybody knows about, aside from the couple that everybody knows about, I want to see Nicholas Walters and Vasil Lomachenko next year. That is the fight that I want to see more than any fight. My my understanding is is that it will not be the next fight for either of them. Right. But they will be fighting this year. Uh, please. Because that is going to be just an unbelievable display of fireworks in that fight, man. Yeah, Walter's range and, and Lomachenko's accuracy. Uh, there's just so many ways that fight could play out. I, I, I have to see that next year. I hope also for boxing's sake, um, you know, and Showtime's sake, I don't want them to fail. I just want them to stop being delusional assholes and start putting on good fights. Right. That's it. I'm not hoping that they fail, but Oscar De La Hoya has got to get Abner Mares, Leo Santa Cruz done. Yeah, he does. He's got to get that fight done. The the winner of that fight is, you know, takes that next step, and you're you're going to have a superstar on your hands, pretty yeah. much. Man, the respect level that they would that 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 fight would garner right. would be huge for both guys. Yeah, and, both guys need it. Right. The loser does not get hurt either in that fight. Abner Mares versus Johnny Gonzalez rematch. I want to see that. Yep. There's a lot of fights to be made at that division, but the two fights that I want to see are Gonzalez versus Mares 2 and Walters versus Lomachenko. If we get those two fights in 2015, will you be a very happy man? I, I will be a happy man, yes. All right. So let's move into the 130-pound division, the junior lightweight division, and a division that has a few names that are intriguing. Okay. I can tell you one that isn't. Who? Rancis Bartholomew. <laughs> I can. I'm still bamboozled and befuddled <laughs> that they put him in a headlining fight this year. Hey. Have you seen a more boring fighter? What do we know? <laughs> I know when I see garbage. Yeah, that was. That was hot garbage. I don't ever want to see Bartholomew fight again. No. He's, I wouldn't mind seeing somebody pound on him. He just fights just like a typical Cuban, man. Yeah. Just arrogant, cocky. My style is superior. Yeah. I am so much better than you. <laughs> but in a in a Spanish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Javier Fortuna is the name that stands out the most to me. Right. I, I would like to see a, I don't know, sort of welcome to the division test for Javier Fortuna, perhaps the most talented fighter in the division against Orlando Salido. Um, I think what you have there is a, uh, that would just be a huge testing proving ground fight. Don't you think? Uh, yeah, we've seen Salido. I mean, he, he taught uh, Lomachenko less than, I mean, 20 pounds heavier going into the ring, but yeah, Salido is a perfect guy to test your young fighter on his way up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that would be um, a really big fight for the 130-pound division. Orlando Salido will be squaring off against Roman Martinez. So you got, you know, two top 10 fighters squaring off right. in Puerto Rico on March 21st. Other than that, there really isn't much going on there. It's not a star-studded division. It's sort of a crossroads division. So we move into the lightweight division. And the lightweight division, 
does have a kingpin and Terrence Crawford, but that's going to change soon. Uh, he's going to have to pass off the ring and WBO um, straps that he has. Outside of that, Omar Figueroa is now the number one contender after the Beltran loss to Crawford. Omar Figueroa lays the wood. I got respect for the guy because yeah. he takes a punch, mm-hmm. but he's got hand problems. He does. And for somebody as young as he is, that's a huge issue, man. Yeah. You know, he's got the talent to dominate this division for years. You you think they put him in the ring with uh with Beltran next year? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, there's, you know, there's a, a couple guys he, you know, can be in the ring against. His last fight, I guess, his last fight was against Daniel Estrada, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got hand problems. He's got hand problems. I'd love to see him fight Mickey Bay. I think he'd knock Mickey Bay at, uh out cold. I was waiting for your Mickey Bay, <laughs> but I think TMT that that's the only <laughs> that's the only pot they have to piss in right now. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? They're gonna hold on to that strap as long as they can. Yeah, well that that pot's gonna have some holes in it probably halfway through next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking for some things to happen in the lightweight division. Um, I think we can maybe keep our eyes and wait and see as to what happens uh, at 135 pounds because there's two names that are coming up into that division in Felix Verdejo and Luke Campbell mm-hmm. that could very well soon be the top of that division. You know, and when you look at it, really, I guess taking weight class into consideration where they're actually fighting, who their competition is going to be, I'd put Verdejo against any of these guys. Yes, right now. I think he's... I just don't think he could beat Crawford right now. No, 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 no. Crawford's too too smart in the ring for him right now. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, Crawford leaving, I guess Verdejo could make his way to the top pretty easily, and they should start pitching him against these guys, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think next year you're going to see him by the end of the year in the ring with one of these top ten guys. Junior welterweight, 140 pounds, uh, headed up by Danny Garcia, the ring WBA and WBC champion. Uh, the most frustrating division in pro- the sport? Yeah, probably, because a lot of the fights can't be made. Right. Or will not be made. And there's, it's loaded. It's Yeah, but it's an incestual division. Yep. Where the best fighters in it all sleep in the same bed. Mm-hmm. You know? Mr. Heyman's all petting them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are some interesting names. You have a, a very threatening fighter at the bottom of the division in Victor Postal, um, a pretty talented fighter. you got Terrence Crawford entering the mix. You have the... I'm not going to go as far as Pauli Malinaji and start slinging steroid accusations all over the place. Um, but there does need to be some clarification as to the participation in VADA by Jesse Vargas. Right. Um, so you do see Vargas's name being tossed around a little bit as he fought on the undercard of Pacquiao Algieri and has been thrown around as a possible contender, as Manny Pacquiao has talked about, if the fight with Floyd Mayweather doesn't happen, that he will be journeying back down to 140 pounds. What fight do you want to see, or what fights would you like to see out of the 140-pound division? I would like to see, I would say, number one. If, if, we're, gonna, if we're gonna say Crawford's coming up next year, I want to see Crawford against, I'll say, any one of these fighters. Lamont Peterson, Ruslan Provodnikov. I'd like to see him get tested by a heavy-hitting 140-pounder, just so we can see where Crawford, we can gauge Crawford and, and as far as, is he going to be able to accept the power as he moves up in weight? So what's your fight? What's the one you want to see? I, I'll say, I'll say Crawford Peterson. I'd like to see that fight. Really? Yeah. Huh. 
Crawford versus Peterson. I think that would be a very good fight. I think that'd be an interesting fight. I do. If I could make one fight at that division, it would be Terrence Crawford and Adrian Broner. Yeah. I don't blame you. I do not blame you. Actually, Matisse Broner would be a good one, too. Yeah, that would be, too. But honestly, if with Crawford entering the division, I think the most logical of two fights yeah. for him to make in coming into the division would be one, Jesse Vargas, right. and two, Ruslan Provodnikov. Yeah. You know, I think that those are two fights that you can make. Mm -hmm. And I think Crawford, Provodnikov would do amazing numbers. Oh, hell yeah. Amazing numbers. Uh, that would be uh, $1.5 I, I think. $1.4 I think Crawford would absolutely tattoo Provodnikov. I don't, I don't really think that fight would be very close. I don't know, man. I think, I think Provodnikov would shake him. Yeah, you think oh, so? Yeah. yeah, do you know how Crawford is? Yeah. Sometimes Crawford gets a little, like, maybe you should take your foot off the gas a little bit. Yeah, definitely. He did in the last fight, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he tries to put on a show. Yeah. You know, and I love him for that. Yeah, but if, uh, you're right. A, a fighter like Provodnikov could make him pay for that. Yeah, which is why I think it would be a really fun fight. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the two fights that I want to see at the in this division are Crawford, Provodnikov, and uh, Broner Matisse. I agree. Yeah. Th those would be the two I want to see. And we do have an upcoming fight between My Mike Alvarado and Brandon Rios as they will go gotta, for the rubber match. Gotta love that, man. Gotta love that fight. Yeah, Alvarado-Rios 3 coming up uh, this month. Cannot wait for that fight. That's, so, a, that's a nice way to kick off the year. Absolutely. So, Chris Algieri, they going to let him out of the cage this year? <laughs> Oh my God! I hope he stays in the cage. To be honest with you, yeah. I, no, you know he's gonna get he's gonna get an, another big fight. We're gonna see him in this year on HBO. So who? Look, the kid kind of had a meteoric rise, and you know he got clowned pretty bad after his performance against, against Pacquiao. But that's his own fault. Yeah, I mean, well, and his trainer made it even worse for him. So yeah, but I think you're gonna see him in in a, in a big fight this year. Danny Garcia, you think he's gonna move up? Yeah, I think Garcia's had enough. I think he realizes that there's five fighters in the division that can beat him right now, and he can't keep fighting Rod Salka. So where are you going to go? 147. I don't think you need to read too too far into that one. No. I think it's as cut and dry as what you just said. Yep. All right, let's move to the much-revered 147-pound welterweight division. Okay. So did you see that Paulie Malignaggi wants to fight Kell Brook? Yeah, I, I saw that the other day, and I, I'm sorry, Paulie. You can't just decide to throw your your name in the hat and act like you deserve a shot at one of the titles. But, dude, did, did, haven't you seen all the retweets of people telling Paulie that he's the greatest thing that's ever oh, happened yeah. in the world, that he's the world's greatest journalist? Come to the U.K. and fight, Paulie. We love you in the U.K. I, the U.K. is obsessed with Paulie Malignaggi, man. No, well, according to Paul Malignaggi, he is. Well, yeah. and, all the, and, and the people... Look, if you spend your entire day when you're not on the microphone or in front of the camera looking for people that are hanging from your nutsack mm -hmm. and retweeting those people over and over and over again, yeah. and that's what you do because you have a serious confidence problem, serious, serious confidence problem, dude, I'm telling you right now, I will pay, I'll pay pay-per-view money to see Paul Malignaggi fight anybody in the division. And just get his ass kicked one and, last time. Dude, I'm telling you right now, you go through the ring's top 10 
147 pounders right now, every single one of these guys would hurt Paulie Malinaji. Yeah. Uh, Dude, go through the list and you tell me right now who on this list will not knock him out. Maybe Tim Bradley. Maybe. Maybe uh, the ghost, Robert Guerrero, because he's fighting flat-footed these days. Yeah, no, dude, he he gets dominated. Whether he gets knocked out by those two guys or not, he gets dominated by both of them. Diego Chavez versus Paulie Malinaji. Oh, Diego Chavez would steamroll him. Marcos Maidana. Uh, He would touch Paulie one time on the chin, and that would be good night. Keith Thurman? Same thing. One time. (laughs) Sean Porter, we saw that. And yeah, and we've seen how Sean Porter struggled against better competition in the division. So, what does that tell you? Juan Manuel Marquez. Oh, just way too much class in the ring for him. That'd be batting practice. Yes, it that would, would be counter punch. Ting. Yeah. Good night. Yep. Good night, Amir Khan. Too much speed. Kel Brook. Too much size. Yeah, too much size. He, he'd mow right through him. Pacquiao. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> Don't even. I mean, that's not even worth asking. Let's stop right here for a second. I will literally pay. I'd pay 500 bucks. I would save the money. I'm telling you right now to see Pacquiao versus Amalanaji. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, man. I'm telling you right now. I have, you know, Gabe Montoya has been going back and forth with Paulie Malinaji. Well, they've had some heated exchanges. Heated boys. exchanges. And, you know, he brought up a really good point. Okay. And 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 that's what Gabe does is 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 he brings up really good points and then Paulie spews his diarrhea bullshit right of no no facts no points just opinion I'm just I'm I'm famous right I'm I'm famous I'm Al Heyman's mouthpiece and that's what he says but Gabe Montoya made a really great point Gabe was talking about how the Boxing Writers Association gave Paulie Malinaji an award for journalism for excellence in journalism and. What is lost on somebody like Paulie Malinaji, who's not a journalist. No. Okay? He's not a journalist whatsoever. Okay? A journalist gathers information and disseminates the information. They take information, facts, truthful facts, things that happen, and they tell a story mm-hmm. based off of facts. This is what journalists do. And Gabe was talking about during the the fight telecast of Adonis Stevenson versus Dmitry Sikotsky and how the Showtime crew was saying that um, things just didn't go as planned for Adonis Stevenson, that the entire premise of that lead-in to the fight, during the fight, and after the fight was how um, things just didn't happen for Adonis Stevenson, about how basically, you know, um, this year his luck will change. Right. right. No, no, no. That, that basically like Adonis Stevenson just, it wasn't had that, that it didn't have anything to do with the choices that he made. The fact is, the fact of the matter is, is that Adonis Stevenson ducked. Yes. Sergey Kovalev. He flat out ducked Sergey Kovalev and ducked Jean Pascal. He ducked these fighters. And that's the fact. So when you're reporting something that is not the truth, right. You're not a journalist. So how can you go, he repeatedly, 100% repeatedly slanders Manny Pacquiao. 100% nonstop attacks with no facts whatsoever. And then calls Gabe Montoya, who is at the forefront in covering and uh, PEDs. Right. 
you know, a guy that was that was given a cease and desist letter for uncovering a little bit too much information on Floyd Mayweather, mm-hmm. right? And a guy that has put in the work, giving the public information on how this stuff happens. Right. He has facts. He knows what has gone on as this goes. And Pauli Malinaji does the exact opposite. Slings insults, calls Gabe Montoya a fake journalist. Yeah. Pauli Malinaji is not a journalist. No, I'm, I'm really surprised that the Boxing Writers Association would give him that award. Like, actual writers yeah. would, would, would give Pauli Malinaji that. I mean, that's amazing. But does it surprise you about this sport? No, not at all. That, that, that an award is bestowed upon such an unbelievable disgrace to the sport. He embarrasses himself, and he embarrasses the sport. Yes. And people that blindly fanboy him and just believe what he says, the people that tweet. Well, they just want to retweet from him. That's all they want. Ooh, Paulie retweeted me. They say, speak the truth, Paulie. Yeah. What? Yeah, they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Speak the truth, Paulie. What, do you, what does that mean? The guy doesn't speak the truth. He doesn't have any facts whatsoever. So here's what I say to Paulie Malinaji. You know what? He'll probably never listen to this show. No. Probably has no idea who the hell we are. No. But here's what I say, okay? If you're going to blindly and just flat out accuse somebody and try to beat down somebody and, and try to destroy somebody's legacy mm-hmm. and try to label somebody the way that he has without a single drop of evidence. Pauli Malinaji is a year younger than Manny Pacquiao. Mm-hmm. You know what, Pauli? Why don't you get in the ring with Manny Pacquiao? Get in the ring with Manny Pacquiao. Challenge him right. instead of getting online and calling guys like that call him out on his shit calling us trolls yeah, and that we, you don't know anything about boxing. You just hide behind a keyboard. What the f*** are you doing, Paulie Malinaji? Yeah, that's all he does all day long. Hiding behind a keyboard like a f***ing coward. I don't care who you fought and what belts you fell into and whatever, dude. You're a hypocrite, a clown, and a coward. You have the balls to sit here and defame somebody like Manny Pacquiao that tries to do good in this world and tries to be a positive figure in a sport full of assholes like yourself, then get in the ring with him and fight him. Fight him. There's only one Paulie I care about, Ken, and he works for Shamrock Meats in Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) This guy we're talking about, I could give a shit about Paulie Malinaji anymore. He is such such a clown, man. Such a unbelievable hypocrite. I could go on and on and on about this. But at the 147-pound division, there's one fight that I want to see. And I will pay top dollar for it. Yes. Can we hashtag pick? Pack versus Pauly. <laughs> hashtag hashtag Pauly shines Pack shoes. I like that one. How does that fight go? Uh, it'd be over in two, three rounds probably. I would love to see that fight. Polly would be on the run and covered up. Oh my god, it wouldn't it wouldn't even be close. Do you think Mayweather Pacquiao is going to happen? No. I don't. Do you? Um no. I don't. I don't I don't I don't. They're going to they're going to string us along for both of their first fights 
they're going to fight at the end of the year now, right? So we'll buy their next pay-per-view or they'll try to get as many people to buy it as possible. Then they won't make it later on in the year. And after that, Mayweather's gone. So I, it's it's not going to happen, buddy. I got no faith. Yep, neither do I. <laughs> 154 pounds. Canelo, Ayers Londi Lara, Austin Trout, Demetrius Andre, Vanis Martirizian, the Charlo Twins, Cornelius Bundridge. I got Carlos Molina, I wish you'd just retire. You'd taken a beating. Yeah. And at the very bottom of the list, Julian J. Rock Williams. What do you think about this division? There's a lot of, behind Canelo, there's a lot of unproven young guys. I mean, Andre, we have yet to see what he's really all about. The Charlos, both of them. And then, of course, our guy at the bottom of the list, Julian Williams. There's a lot of of, of shakeups that could happen in this division this year. It all depends on if these young guys want to get in the ring and fight each other. Yeah, I agree, man. Because, I mean, look, you got Austin Trout at number three. I feel like he's kind of a – he's still a very good fighter, but he's a, he's a fighter that's on the downside of his career, I would say. There's there's no doubt about that, but I'm going to tell you right now, the guys below him haven't done anything. No, uh-uh. Very unproven division is what I would say. Yeah, I, I would take uh, I would take J-Rock. I, I would take him in every fight except for um, the Lara and Canelo fight. Right. That would be the, those would be the two fights today. If you made the fight today, I would take him against anybody in the division other than those two. I think Andrade would give him a little bit of trouble, but yeah, I think he's still, he's he's a little better than Demetrius at this point. But I think the Andrade fight, I think that that would be a pick'em fight. Yeah. As far as Vegas is concerned. Yeah. You know what I mean? I and I'm not saying that he would that that J Rock would win that fight, but I do know this after the way that Andrade backed out of the Charlo fight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and turned down a career high payday because why? Because the guy that was boxing in front of him, Keith Thurman, is a bigger star and was making more money than him. And you know what it is? It's all a pride thing. Yeah. Because Andre beat Thurman in the amateurs. He thinks he's better than him. Right. But exactly. guess what? Thurman's a bigger name. Yeah. That's all there is to it, man. Andre, you got to get out there and beat these guys. You got to beat the Charlo brothers. Mm-hmm. If he would have just stepped in the ring and handled a top 10 ranked fighter in his division, yeah. then guess what? The, 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 the possibilities are endless. Right. Because then now you can fight Laura, you know, but guess what's going to end up happening. They all have their eyes set on, on Cornelius Bundridge because. Oh yeah. That's an easy belt. Yeah. Cause he's at the end of his rope. Right. You know what I mean? Now I, I don't know what's going to happen at 154 pounds. I'd like to see, I hope Canelo and Cotto happens for boxing's sake. Yeah. Um, and I would like to see Julian Williams versus Austin Trout on Friday night fights. That's the fight I want to see as the main event on Friday night fights. That would be really good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move into the middleweight division, um, and then we'll start trucking through these. Okay, the middleweight division saw a lot of things happen this year. Um, obviously, Miguel Cotto is the lineal champ at the top, having um, dethroned a legless Sergio Martinez. It's There's a consensus around that Triple G is the best fighter. Yeah, I would, at, I would say. At 160 pounds. You had Peter Quillen vacate his belt. He had a mandatory that was going to pay him $1.4 million as it went to purse bid and Rock Nation Sports was going to pay him $1.4 million, turned it down, dumped his belt, and now he is on a campaign um, where he's doing these things called champion talks. Are you allowed to do that if you if you drop your belt and don't fight the best in your division? No, this guy is freaking delusional, man. 
He's a, he he is the biggest clown in boxing. Yeah, he he, he I, I've never seen anything like this. This guy has lost it. It almost seems like him and Paulie Malinaji. Yeah, are are completely detached with reality. I, I don't get it. I don't who I don't understand who's whispering in their ear and and leading them to believe who they are when they're not that person. I dude, the quote of the year is from Random Acts of Quillen. Okay, <laughs> the quote of the year: I've turned down more money than Triple G has made. Is that something to be proud of? Considering that the fact that what fans Quillen has left are more obsessed with how much fighters make than what they actually do in the ring. Right. More obsessed with buying DSG hats and TMT hats. More obsessed with tweeting about, oh, yeah, well, he's rich. What? Yeah. That means nothing. I could care less. Yeah. Care less how much these guys. What you? I've turned down more money. Yeah, but will you get in the ring and fight Triple G? No, because he will destroy you. Grow a pair. Yeah. Let your nuts drop. Yeah, that's all there is to it, right there. Is there more of a bizarre and damning year? A more a year that hurt a career more than what Peter Quillen did this year. Adonis Stevenson is a close second, but yeah, I think Peter Quillen takes the cake by by a long shot. Jermaine Taylor is going to be defending his belt against Sergio Mora. Oh my God, I read that. I, how how is he able to make these fights, man? Sergio Mora was supposed to fight Jermaine Taylor back in 2007 and didn't. Oh. So now they're going to make the fight in 2014. I forgot. Or 2015. I forgot. I really wanted to see that fight in 2007 too. Did you? Yeah. No. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh okay interesting characters for some reason peter quillen thinks a fight against danny jacobs is is big no okay no billy joe saunders versus andy lee in ireland that's going to be a huge fight in ireland that's going to be a huge fight overseas they're yeah. talking about having it in a soccer stadium over there yeah i mean that's gonna that atmosphere is going to be unbelievable martin murray versus gennady golovkin that's going to be a very good fight. You think so? I think Murray's going to going to stretch Golovkin out a little bit, a little bit more than we're used to seeing. Think so? Yeah, just a little bit. But it'll end in it'll end in destruction, knockout. Yeah, <laughs> it'll end in destruction. All right, let's jump into the loaded 168 pound division, super middleweights. What do you got for super middleweights? What do you want to see this year? There, there's so much talent in that division too. I, I want to see Groves to Gale. I'd like to see that fight get made. Yep, me too. Um, I'd like to see Andre Ward make his freaking return to the ring and fight anybody. I don't care who. Fight somebody. Uh, I'd like to see Carl Frotch get his chance at at, at a big money fight against Chavez Jr. in Vegas, man. I mean, there's a ton of fights. How about let's let's put the two best young, big super middleweights, Gilberto Ramirez and Callum Smith in the ring together. Oh, man, that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's so many fights that could be made in this division. Fighter most likely to lose his belt not, not without dropping it, probably Anthony Durrell. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I'd agree. Yep. If not, if well, maybe Abraham. So if Carl Froch has 30 days to make a fight with James DeGale, if he doesn't, IVF's going to strip him. And... Then Andre Durrell would fight James DeGale for the IBF. That's a good fight. I like that fight. So do I. I th- yeah, I think that would be a I th- really I good th- fight. I think they're you know pretty equal as far as talent-wise. I'd rather see DeGale versus Groves because I think there is a 
there was a really, really tight decision the yeah. first time those two fought. And it actually, Groves became famous by fighting Frotch twice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that was, and you know, in James DeGale's eyes, that was supposed to be him. Right. He missed out on his uh, his ticket, so. I think the promotion, the bad blood between those two, I think that promotion will be awesome. I think we'll probably get it next year. It'd be a really good fight. Yeah, it would. Arthur Abraham going to lose his belt this year? Um, As long as he keeps fighting Paul Smith, probably not, no. <laughs> Look, Paul Smith's a good fighter, man. But As long as he keeps... It's kind of like with uh, with Floyd. As long as he keeps fighting, do you remember when the first, Robert Garcia fighters? <laughs> do you remember that when that fight first happened? We were like, "Please, uh, we do not need to see a rematch." And of course, now it's it's being built up as like I, I guess some people really want to see it. I didn't think it was that entertaining of a fight at all, and I, I think you pretty much agree with me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there. All right, let's go to the light heavyweight division. I think there's one fight everybody wants to see. Yes, uh, but before that fight can happen. Sergey Kovalev will be taking on Jean Pascal on March 14th. What do you think about that? That's a good fight. I mean, it's the best fight he could make. So, you know, leave it to Kovalev to to take on the best. Um, uh, any other fights you want to see in the division? Obviously, everybody wants to see Stevenson and, and Kovalev. Let me ask you this first. Will Stevenson continue to duck Kovalev? I don't think he has a choice anymore. I mean, I, you can't keep hiding behind the veil there. I mean, you, look, everybody, he's been called out by everybody and their mother for ducking him. Dude, the WBC went as far as, like, you know, typically if if you're a belt holder by one sanctioning body, then you're never on the rankings for another sanctioning body. Right. The WBC, which does not have Sergey Kovalev ranked, as Kovalev is the WBO, IBF, and WBA champion, has mandated... That Adonis Stevenson fight the winner of Jean Pascal's Sergey Kovalev, or they're going to strip him. <laughs> well, I mean, he is he, is he going to care? We've already seen fighters lose their belts, and they don't they're not giving a shit. Dude, did you see the TV numbers that Adonis Stevenson's fight did? Three hundred thousand. Really? That that was a it, it wasn't a pay per view. No, that's that's really low. Dude, that's awful. Yeah, that's Friday Night Fights numbers. That is, Friday Night Fights does more than that. Yeah, and that's only because they're ESPN cable Dude, provider. Dude, Stavern Areola did three times as much as Adonis Stevenson's decapitation of Dmitry Sukatsky. Yeah, wow, that's... A duckness chickenson. Yeah. Dude, he's got to, he, he's got to clear his yeah. name, man. He's got nowhere to hide. Yeah, he's got to clear his name. Cruiserweight division, I'm looking most forward to seeing the rise of Alexander Usyk. Um, Marco Huck has been challenged by um, Tony Bellew. I'm not sure if Bellew can beat Huck. I think, no. I think Huck's a good fighter. Um, the champion of the division is Johan Pablo Hernandez. Will he stay at the top of the division? I don't know. This has always been a crossroads division, and it's always been a division that's been dominated by those overseas. Right. So... I don't know. The, I'm looking for, most forward to the rise of Alexander Usyk because I think he is a freight train and he's going to run right through this division. Yeah, I mean, you look at the you look at the top ten, and I feel like once he enters that, uh, it's it's lights out for everybody in there. Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing Bell you Huck. I'll tune into the fight. Right. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna set my DVR for it. Bell too busy in Hollywood 
That's right. That's right. And uh, Andre Ward is his understudy <laughs> for the new Rocky movie. All right. So that takes us into the heavyweight division. A much maligned heavyweight division over the last decade plus. And I think that things are beginning. New life is sprouting out of the heavyweight division. Yes, it is. There's new stories. And now it has become relevant. Dr. Stilhammer is still still reigns supreme. Yes. He's got every belt except one. Uh, the WBC champ, Bermain Stavern, fights in just two weeks against the bronze bomber, Deontay Wilder. It's the most, most hype a heavyweight fight has had in the States in years. Yeah. Yeah, a really long time. And this fight has so many ramifications. Mm-hmm. Um, Deontay Wilder has fought nobody. No, he has not. Nobody. He has fought the biggest bouncer at your local Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> That's who he's been fighting. Um, and now, you know, he's one of these Heyman guys that has, you know, built himself up off of, you know, he's created his own legend through mm-hmm. social media. Yep. Um, but his biggest accomplishment, and it's a great accomplishment, is winning a bronze medal at the 2012 Olympics. Right. Outside of that, he's knocked out a bunch of big, fat, out-of-shape slobs. Yeah. So, who do you have winning that fight? I mean, I know we've, we've talked about this already when it was announced. Right. We're gonna talk, and I'm just going to ask you today, has anything changed? I, I think Wilder wins the fight. Okay. We will be previewing that fight coming up very, very shortly. Uh, a lot of things happening. Bryant Jennings, does he stand a chance against Vladimir Klitschko? No, I, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that Klitschko is going to be fighting in the States this year. Yeah. I'm glad he's coming back to have some fights in the States, yes. Yeah, it's going to be awesome, fighting at the Barclays Center in April. I don't think Bryant Jennings stands a chance. No, I don't think Stavern or Wilder, the winner of that, really stands a chance either. I think the most interesting fight to be had at the heavyweight division is Tyson Fury yeah. against Vladimir Klitschko. I agree. I think that's a fight that everybody wants to see. Um you know, uh, there's a lot of things happening. Andy Ruiz, what do you think about the Mexican heavyweight? Yeah, I, I'm not buying into that. No. I, I've, dude, I've watched a few of his fights, and there's nothing about him that says um, contender. Right. It's too bad we lost our boy uh, Ortiz, oh, old King Kong, because I think he could have he could have done some damage to a lot of guys on this list, boy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will see. Uh, the USS Steve Cunningham will be fighting on the undercard of uh, Kovalev Pascal. All right. And he'll be squaring off against Vacheslav Glaskov, the number seven ranked. Um, that will be a good fight. Yeah. I saw Glaskov fight the dingling man um, on the undercard of Alien Crusher. And I was so disappointed by this dude. I'll tell you right now, when you see Vacheslav Glaskov get in the ring, you will be like, holy shit. I mean, he is a physical specimen mm-hmm. tall ripped nothing on the end of his punches whatsoever that's a shame nothing um the uss steve cunningham should mow through this dude you think so yeah i yeah. mean cunningham's tough as hell so you better be ready for a fight that this guy's not tough as hell okay i remember the russian guy that i was sitting next to at the fight just telling me he was like he's like this guy is a puss Oh, well, if your own countrymen are, are saying that. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was clowning on him pretty hard. He's like, don't let the, uh, you know, don't let the, the, uh, the pecs and the biceps fool right. you and that, and that blonde hair. <laughs> don't let it fool you. So Vladimir Klitschko exits 2015 undefeated? I believe so. Yeah? Yeah. 
I think that might be the last year he exits undefeated, though. Really? Well, man, our boy's ready. Our boy is ready. Oh, man, I don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Anthony Joshua. You don't think 2016 he'll he'll be ready for his shot? I mean, he's going to fight six. They already got two fights scheduled this year. Well, they got to run him through this this year, right? They got to get him in the into the. They got to get him ranked. Yeah. Well, didn't he? He just entered somebody's. He's number eight on somebody. Else. I don't know. I mean, there's. Klitschko's got four belts, so I'm right. sure he might be in the top ten. I, I honestly don't know. Right. Um, well, I think there you have it. And that is 2015. Division by division, kind of looking into it, seeing where these guys are going, what fights we want to see. The heavyweight division, I think everybody wants to see. Really excited about Stavern against uh, Deontay Wilder um, and Klitschko fighting in the United States and would love to see a close of the year. Vladimir Klitschko versus Tyson Fury. I think that would be a huge fight. Yeah, that would be. That That's the heavyweight fight I want to see. What is the one fight that you want to see for 2015? Lomachenko-Walters. That's that's your fight? That, that's my fight. I put that ahead of Pacquiao-Mayweather. Really? Yes. The fight that I want to see is Malinaji versus Pacquiao. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you get it, my friend. I hope you get it. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, really, I would love to watch that fight, but that's not the one fight that I want to see <laughs> this year. No, that's not the one fight at all. Um, no, the one fight that I want to see this year is Triple G versus Carl Froch. Oh, yeah. Please. Hey, if you're going to give me that one, I'm all for it, buddy. <laughs> that's the one fight I want to see. Yeah. Um, do you have a, a, a fight, a bucket list fight that you want to see? Would you go to Pacquiao Mayweather? Pacquiao Mayweather, I'm going. Yeah? Yeah. I've told you before, I got about 5K I'd spend on getting out there on a ticket and whatever. <laughs> I'm not missing that fight if it happens. Even if it's in Dallas at Texas Stadium and you got to sit in the in the upper deck and you got to have binoculars and watch it on the big screen, wouldn't you rather just watch it on the big screen at home? I, yeah, I wouldn't go in Dallas, no. I don't want – I'd go to – But that. if it was in a small arena – I would... want the MGM Grand. I want the Vegas experience, man. That's a Vegas fight anyways. Yeah, it's got to be. Freddie Roach thinks it is. Bob Arum thinks it should be hold, held at a big football stadium. Well, no, that's a Vegas fight, man. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, that's episode 30. I think 2015 is going to be a big year for the tale of the tape. I, I believe so, too. The sport of boxing and the tale of the tape. We're going we're gonna to take that rise together. Absolutely. Um, so that'll do it for 2014 and episode 30 of the tale of the tape. Be sure to drop by sportsrantradio.com for all the archived episodes of The Tale of the Tape and our recently published exclusive one-on-one interview with up-and-comer undefeated rising star Dusty Hernandez Harrison as he squares off this Friday night on Fox Sports 1 in the inaugural event hosted by Rock Nation Sports dubbed Throne Boxing. It's an exclusive one-on-one interview you will not want to miss. I'm your host, Kenny Keith of SportsRantRadio.com. And for my partner in crime, Vince Cummings, we wish all of you a happy new year and look forward to the year of 2015 in the world of professional prize fighting. We'll be back next week for episode 31 of The Tale of the Tape, same bat time. Same bat channel. May the force be with you. <laughs>